Hi, my name is Sejal Parikh, and I'm your host today. Welcome back to our podcast, Precision Bites, talking with patients about weight management, a podcast of simulated clinic encounters dealing with motivational interviewing and weight management in different social contexts. Today, the provider will be talking with Ms. Miller, a 38-year-old woman with a BMI of 30, presenting to her primary care provider for an initial appointment about weight. She's a lawyer, and she works full-time. As a single mother of two preteen boys, she's incredibly busy balancing work and her family. This episode will be a little different from previous episodes. It will focus less on current research and data and more on interpersonal techniques during the interview. This episode will also draw comparisons to previous episodes and patients, so try to listen to the other episodes first. Okay, things that we want you to take away from this episode include 1. How to ask about a patient's motivations and barriers to action. And two, examples of behavior modification for busy patients. Hope you enjoy. Part one, pre-trial motions. Come in. Hi, Miss Miller. How are you doing today? Good, Doc. I'm fine. You wanted to see me again? Well, thanks for coming in today. I know you have a busy work schedule. Yeah, I have this big trial coming up. I haven't seen the kids in weeks. I don't even think I've changed my clothes the last couple days. It's just been so stressful. We start pre-trial motions next week, and we just have so much to do, and I'm the only lawyer there with kids, so I feel like I'm stepping out a lot. <sighs> wow. That sounds really stressful. I'm sorry it's been so busy. Yeah, well, what can you do? And if your doctor calls you in, you have to go, so... What did you want to talk to me about? Well, when you came in for your annual exam a couple weeks ago, we talked about the kids and weight increase, and we did our regular labs. The results are back, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Okay, what's up? Are they okay? Well, we talked about how your weight has been creeping up, and we wanted to make sure your cholesterol was okay. So your labs show that your bad cholesterol, or LDL, is high, and your good cholesterol, or HDL, is low. High LDL and low HDL can contribute to heart disease. Really? Can that happen? I mean, I'm so young. Unfortunately, it can happen in younger people. The high bad cholesterol levels, or LDL, can be due to diet, or sometimes genetics, or a combination of both. Yeah, that makes sense. My dad had a heart attack pretty early. The high cholesterol causes the heart attack, right? Yeah, the high LDL and low HDL can contribute to damage in the blood supply to the heart, and that causes the heart attack. And your family history makes me want to be more aggressive about this issue because it's another risk factor for developing heart disease. Okay, so what do we do now? Well, I do think we should attack this from a couple different angles. From my end, I can start you on a medication called atorvastatin. You take it once a day, and it helps lower your bad cholesterol, the LDL. But I would like to wait to start that until we try some lifestyle changes. I think long-term sustainable solutions will probably come from those changes. Lifestyle changes? What do you mean? Well, changes in diet and exercise really can help the LDL come down and the HDL come up. <sighs> um, sorry, Miss Miller, did I say something? Just give me the pill, Doc. Okay, but... 
What do you think about the lifestyle changes we were talking about? Doc, I don't have any time to do any of that. I work 16 hours a day. I don't have time for my kids. I don't have any time for myself. I definitely don't have time to run for an hour a day. I don't have time to do your lifestyle changes. I didn't even have time to come here today. I'm sorry things are so stressful, Miss Miller. I really am. From what you said, it sounded like you don't think some of these changes are possible. I don't have time to do any of your lifestyle changes, Doc. Just give me the script so I can get back to work. Okay. I know you are busy and have a hectic schedule. But I do think it would be a shame if you left here with only the medication because the diet and exercise are probably better long-term solutions. I know I won't be able to do it. Okay, I see. How about this, Miss Miller? Why don't we just talk until the end of the appointment? I know you had to drive all the way over here from work, so let's try to make it worth your while. What do you say? I mean, since I'm already here, fine. Okay, so you've said a couple times that you don't think you have the time to make lifestyle changes. First, tell me, what do you think these lifestyle changes will look like? I don't know. Isn't that your job to tell me? Sure, sure, I can help with that. I just want to understand why it feels so overwhelming. If I know where you're coming from, we can develop a more feasible plan together. So, what does diet and exercise mean to you? Well, exercise means I have to go to the gym for an hour a day. It means that I have to either get up an hour earlier or go to bed an hour later, and that's less time to the kids. And diet means that I have to go shop at Whole Foods every other day and spend an hour cooking. I just can't make that happen right now. Okay, so it sounds like you think that diet and exercise will take too much time, like on the order of hours, out of your day. Yeah, I can see how that's pretty stressful. So let me tell you right off the bat, we will only come up with diet and exercise changes that work with your life. I'm not going to tell you you have to dedicate hours a day to diet and exercise. That's impossible. We will find solutions that fit with your life. Okay, like what? Pearl 1, Pre-Trial Motions. In this part of the encounter, the provider opens by presenting Ms. Miller's BMI as a problem and introduces diet and exercise as a potential solution. This gets off to a rocky start. Most of the rest of the conversation is dedicated to setting appropriate expectations of what diet and exercise is needed to manage weight. Now, some of this was unavoidable. Miss Miller came in with her own stresses of being late and having a busy schedule that are not in the provider's control. But there are some places that the provider could have set himself up for success. For example, instead of saying, well, changes in diet and exercise can really help the LDL to come down, the provider could have said, well, easy ways to bring down the LDL include some increased physical activity and a couple of easy food substitutions. Does this downplay what Miss Miller has to do to lose weight? Yes, it absolutely does. But statements like this can set the tone of this is possible with the patient, which is the first step to weight loss. Before the end of the visit, make sure to be upfront with your patient that these changes will not bring them down to a normal BMI, but that these slow and sustainable changes will put them on the right path. When working with busy patients who are concerned about time, try to avoid tools like calorie-to-exercise calculators. For some patients, like Mr. Brown, who doesn't understand why he's gaining weight, it can be helpful to show calculators 
such as homeremedyshop.com, that convert fast food meals into calories and then the amount of exercise required to burn those calories. It's pretty shocking to see, but for Ms. Miller, it might be too overwhelming and even counterproductive. In summary, it's important to open the encounter with Ms. Miller carefully, lay out expectations about what is reasonable, and give examples of easy ways she can change. As Ms. Miller is not financially disadvantaged, starting weight loss will center on motivation and ease. Part 2. Diet History Okay, so we were talking about finding changes that would work with your lifestyle. But before we go there, I wanted to get a sense of your diet. So let's start at the beginning of the day. What do you have for breakfast? Well, we don't have breakfast at home. I drop the kids at school pretty early, around 7.30, and they have breakfast at school. I'll pick up a bagel or something outside work and eat at my desk. Cream cheese? Anything to drink with your breakfast? Yes, definitely cream cheese and a small black coffee with that. Okay, and then anything mid-morning? Snack or something to drink? No, not really. And then what do you have for lunch? Well, we usually all order together for lunch to be delivered to the office, so whatever everyone's getting, I'll just get something from there too. What kind of food do you usually get? It just depends what everyone else is getting. So, from a restaurant nearby? Uh, and how much do you usually get? An entree and a side? Yeah, restaurants nearby. Um, I probably get at least an entree and a side, maybe two. I don't know. It just really depends on the day. You know, there's no formula. Sure, sure makes sense. Um, what did you have for lunch yesterday at work? Um, well, yesterday was a little unusual because we ordered barbecue. Sure, I know it was just one day, but what did you get? Well, I got ribs and mashed potatoes and corn on the cob. Okay, and anything to drink with lunch? Yeah, I usually need another coffee at that point. Any cream or sugar? No, I only drink black coffee. Okay, got it. And anything for a mid-afternoon snack? Yeah, I just find myself getting so tired around then. I have to have another coffee and a pastry to get through the afternoon. Okay, so one more coffee black and a pastry. How big is the pastry usually? Like the size of your fist or the size of whole hand stretched out? Uh, probably my whole outstretched hand. Okay, and then what do you eat next? Well, then I usually pick up the kids from daycare around 6, and we'll pick up dinner on the way home. And then it's just homework, dishes, laundry, putting the kids to bed. Once the kids are in bed, I start working again. Wow, that's a really busy day. <laughs> and where do you usually get dinner from? Whatever the kids want. What did you have for dinner yesterday? Um, yesterday we had takeout Chinese, noodles, meat, vegetables, all the usual stuff. Okay, and how much do you usually order between the three of you? How many entrees and sides? Um, each of us get an entree for sure. And since the boys are growing, they're eating more too. I'd say we probably get three entrees and six sides between all of us. Okay, and anything to drink with dinner? Any dessert after dinner? Just water. I don't really like bringing soda in the house because I know that's bad for the kids. Okay, thanks for sharing all of that with me. I feel like I have a good idea of what you're eating during the day. Pearl 2, Diet History. In this part of the encounter, the provider takes a chronological diet history. While a chronological diet history may not be the best approach with the obese child, 
In this encounter with Ms. Miller, it gives you most of the information that you need. One challenge that the provider faced is that Ms. Miller was often vague about her eating habits. When a patient is vague, ask something concrete. When Ms. Miller said, things just depend on the day and there's no pattern, the provider asked what she ate yesterday. While this method is likely to miss the variability of a patient's food consumption, at least it's a place to start. Remember to ask about drinks and snacks. This is often low-hanging fruit when it comes to making a plan. Asking about snacks can help you assess how frequently patients are eating. Frequency of eating can be tied to emotional cues, such as boredom, loneliness, or stress. Asking about drinks and dessert can help you evaluate hidden calories that patients might not even consider as part of their meal. For example, by cutting down one can of non-diet soda a day, patients can avoid gaining one pound a month. Some fruit juices have just as much sugar as soda. It's important to ask about a patient's drinks and snacks. These calories are often forgotten in the patient's and the provider's calculations. In this encounter, the provider asks about additions like creamer and coffee and cream cheese on a bagel. One liquid serving of coffee creamer can be 30 calories, which doesn't seem like a lot, but if Ms. Miller puts two creamers in each coffee and drinks two cups of coffee a day, she's adding 120 calories to her diet every single day. Similarly, one ounce of cream cheese is 97 calories. That's a snack in and of itself. Finally, remember to ask about portion size. While patients are often more reluctant to cut out foods entirely, cutting back or reducing portion size can seem more feasible. In summary, Remember to ask about low-hanging fruits like snacks and drinks, be sure to ask about additions such as coffee creamer and cream cheese, and ask about portion size during the diet history. Part 3. Motivational Interviewing Okay, Ms. Miller, thanks for telling me what you're eating. Now, before we start making any lifestyle changes, I just want to talk about the pros and cons of change. With my other patients who want to lose weight, this process has been helpful. Fine. So we talked about the cons, primarily that you don't have time to exercise for an hour a day and that you don't have an hour to cook every day. Any other cons that you can think of? Well, I'm sure all that is expensive, too. Okay, so time and money. Anything else you can think of? Well, even if I bought ingredients, I don't know what I would make. I mean, I know how to cook, but I just don't have time to plan it all out. So there's not enough time to plan it out. Okay, so time to plan, buy food, and cook, and the money. Any other barriers to eating differently? I think those are mainly it. Okay, and any positives that you can think of for making these lifestyle changes? Well, you're saying I have to because of my cholesterol. Okay, so there are health benefits. Yeah. What else? What? Are there other reasons that you would want to make these lifestyle changes? Well, I guess it would be better for the kids to eat healthier, too. Yeah, definitely. And if you change what you're eating, then they're more likely to change what they're eating. And what the kids eat now can affect their health long term. Absolutely. What else? Um, I don't know. One way you could think about it, Miss Miller, is that eating differently and exercising a little more could be one way for you to prioritize yourself. I know that you don't have a lot of time, but these changes can provide a time where you focus on yourself. What? Let me try to say this a different way. 
Sometimes other people can feel like they are overwhelmed and not in control of their busy work schedule. Diet and exercise can be one way where you do have control. And you can use that control to invest in yourself and be healthier. But I thought I just told you why I didn't have control because of the time and everything. Sure, I heard you. And I have some suggestions that might help. I can tell you those now so it doesn't feel as abstract, but I just wanted to introduce diet and exercise as ways to invest in yourself. That can be a reason to want to do this, not just that you need to for your health. Pearl 3, Motivational Interviewing. In this part of the encounter, the provider engages in motivational interviewing by asking Miss Miller about the pros and cons of losing weight. Arguably, this is the most important part of this visit. Even if there's not many action items that come out of this part, the provider offered Miss Miller a structure of how to think about weight loss and her reasons to do it. Before getting into the contents of motivational interviewing, I want to briefly review techniques involved. The acronym ORS is helpful. The O in ORS stands for open-ended questions such as, what are some reasons to change? The A stands for affirmations or validating the patient's experience. For example, the provider responds to Ms. Miller talking about how time-consuming grocery shopping and going to the gym can be by saying, yeah, I can see how that's pretty stressful. The R stands for reflection and is linked to S that stands for summarizing. Sometimes just repeating back the patient's thoughts in different words can be helpful. Finally, when engaging in motivational interviewing with a patient, try not to make it personal or intrusive. Statements such as, I do this for all my patients, can be helpful. Now for the content. Ask what the patient's perceived barriers are. In this encounter, Ms. Miller outlines time and cost. This is helpful to both the provider and the patient. For the patient, it can be helpful to identify specific barriers so that weight loss does not seem as overwhelming. In response, the provider can offer more tailored recommendations that address the time and the cost of eating healthy. Next. Be sure to ask about the patient's motivations for change. If parents cite the health of their children as a reason to change, make sure to encourage them. Help parents see themselves as educators and trendsetters for their children's future health. Give examples of how parents can incorporate their children into menu planning and food preparation. In the case of Ms. Miller, empowerment was a strong motivator for change. For busy patients who may not always feel in control of their day-to-day -day lives, Positioning healthy eating as something positive they can do for themselves can be effective. Providers can portray eating well as a way the patient advocates for him or herself. Ultimately, this part of the encounter focused on preparatory change talk. Preparatory change talk includes identifying desires for change, abilities to change, reasons to change, and need to change. Remember the ORS technique of open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summarizing to elicit this preparatory change talk. Part 4. A Menu of Options Okay, so we were talking about the reasons to change your diet and exercise more. Reasons to do it are your health, the health of your kids, and feeling more in control and investing in yourself. The major barriers are time to plan, time to grocery shop, time to cook, and the money. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, sounds right. Okay, so let's start with one of the barriers, time to grocery shop. 
Can I give you some options for how to get around that? Sure. One of the things I like to recommend to my patients, if they have the means, is to sign up for a CSA box. CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, meaning that it is usually local and usually there are more organic options. When you sign up for a CSA box at a local farm, you'll sign up for the size of the box, meaning how much produce you will get and how frequently you want the box. Then the box of local and fresh produce gets delivered to your door. So I don't have to go pick it up? It is slightly more expensive to have it delivered, but that does get around the issue of going to the grocery store. You don't even have to plan. These fresh vegetables and fruits just show up at your doorstep. Yeah, but I don't know what I would do with those vegetables, even if I got them delivered. Some CSAs will send you recipes along with the produce. That can be convenient. Sometimes it's easier to figure out what to make once you already have the ingredients. You know, another thing I recommend is just getting a Trader Joe's cookbook. Those cookbooks are put together by consumers, and the recipes usually take 20 minutes. I recommend them because I use them myself. I'll think about it. The cookbook seems like it could work, but I don't know. It just takes so much time to cut the vegetables. Seems like a hassle. That's a good point. Luckily, there are more and more options nowadays for pre-cut vegetables. I know many grocery stores have pre-cut fresh and frozen mixes. They even have specific stir-fry ready vegetables, which is nice. You just throw it all in a pan, do some quick seasoning, and then it's ready to eat. Okay, I'll think about it. I don't know about the CSA, though. All that stuff will go bad if I don't cook it right away, right? Some vegetables won't stay good for more than a week. If that's something that you're worried about, you could stock up on frozen vegetables. They don't go bad, and you can always cook them and thaw them when you're ready. Yeah, but I heard somewhere that frozen vegetables weren't as good for you as fresh vegetables. Is that true? I'm a huge advocate of frozen vegetables. The reason I recommend frozen vegetables so much is that Vegetables don't lose much when they're frozen. The sugars, starches, and fibers of the vegetables are preserved to close to the same levels as fresh vegetables. The water-soluble vitamins such as vitamin B and C are reduced. That being said, fat-soluble vitamins such as vitamin A and E are not reduced with freezing or thawing. Well, that doesn't sound good about the vitamin C. Of course, fresh vegetables are better, but I would much, much rather you have some frozen vegetables than no vegetables at all. You can always add an orange to your day and make up for the lost vitamin C. Okay, I'll think about it. Yeah, definitely think about it. And, you know, if you buy the frozen vegetables in bulk from Costco, they will be pretty inexpensive. Okay, so you told me a couple things about getting the vegetables, but I still have to cook them, and that just takes time. Maybe I could do that once a week, but definitely not every day. What I recommend for busy moms like you is to get a slow cooker or crock pot. They have basic ones starting at $20, but you can get fancier ones too. The reason I recommend the crock pot is because you just put in the ingredients. The reason I recommend the crock pot is because you just put in the ingredients in the crock pot in the morning, set it for a couple of hours, and ta-da! You have a warm food ready when you come home. And it's pretty safe. It turns itself off, so you don't have to worry about burning the house down on your kids hurting themselves or anything. Really? Well, that does sound nice. I recommend it so highly because I use it for myself. Easy things you can make in the crock pot is soups. I just toss in some vegetable stock, frozen vegetables from Walmart or Costco, anything in bulk really because it's cheaper. <laughs> and so then I add some canned beans, some salt and pepper, and then come back home to a nice soup. 
But you can also make other foods in these slow cookers. People make roasted potatoes, all sorts of stuff. Okay, well, that does sound feasible. But I don't know. I'm not sure my kids would be into the soup. And I don't want to make your life harder by forcing everyone to eat differently. But for the kids, we have some really good research that shows the more young kids are exposed to vegetables, even if it's stuff like cooked spinach, the more they're going to like and eat them. Yeah, but that's over months, right? I don't think I could put up with all the hassle in the meantime. That's true. So here are some strategies that I like to give other picky eaters. You can start mixing in vegetables in their normal foods. So if you're planning on ordering pizza for dinner, get some bell pepper and onion toppings in addition to pepperoni. If you're making pasta, you can add vegetables to pasta primavera. And it's much easier if you have those frozen vegetables at home. I mean, I'll think about it. So in that vein, I have one more thought. Include your kids in basic food preparation. Let's say you're steaming some frozen vegetables to take to work for lunch the next day. Have your kids help with washing and separating the vegetables. The more they see and touch vegetables, the less foreign they'll seem. Do you think that will work? Well, it's a start. These strategies have worked for other picky eaters. So we talked about how to decrease the time it takes to shop for groceries and cook. Out of those four options of getting a CSA box, getting pre-cut vegetables, getting frozen vegetables, and using the slow cooker, which two do you think are going to be the easiest for you to do? Yeah, these are all options. I like the idea of the fresh vegetables because, I don't know, I just don't see the point of eating vegetables if they aren't going to have all the vitamins. So maybe the pre-cut vegetables? I think I could figure out a way for those to be delivered to my house too. I've heard of some other grocery delivery services, so I'll look into that. Okay, great. And please let me know once you find out. I probably want to use that for myself. <laughs> okay, so pre-cut vegetables is one. And that's nice because you could also get the kids involved. Ask them what they like and want to cook. Good. And the change? And the other one, probably the slow cooker. I mean, it would be really nice if I could just set it in the morning and food would be ready once we all got home. I would have to figure out some recipes, though. You know, I think there might be some crockpot recipe books where they sell the crockpots at Costco or Walmart. It might be convenient to pick up or order the recipe book when you buy the crockpot. Okay, that sounds reasonable. I don't know. I'm still worried about the time and uncertainty of it. I just feel like ordering out is so easy. You don't have to worry about any of this. That makes sense. You know, one of the reasons I was asking about your portion sizes is because I think there is an opportunity to change there. What? Let's say that work ran really late and you have to order out. One easy and totally free thing you could do is just set some of your takeout food aside in a Tupperware box to take for lunch the next day. That way, you decrease your caloric intake and that can help control your weight. Okay, I could do that. That seems reasonable. I don't have to cook anything fancy and I can have lunch for the next day. Yeah, I think controlling portion size is important for everyone especially when we eat out. Sometimes those entrees are enough calories for two whole meals. Restaurants tend to sneak in calories through extra fat and sugars. It makes the food tastier, but it definitely adds a lot of calories. Okay, so that's another thing I'll add to the list. Eat half the entree and save the other half. Okay, great. We lined up some great changes here. Last thing I wanted to talk about was exercise. Now, I know you don't have time to go to the gym, or exercise for an hour. 
but those aren't the only options. I recommend using some exercise apps. Here, let me show you on my phone. So there are some free apps that are nice, and you could do some super short workouts, like seven to 10 minutes. Here, uh, see this app? You can follow along all these fitness videos, and you can choose how long you want to work out for. Isn't that neat? I guess, but I heard that you need to exercise one hour a day to lose weight. Can I lose weight on 10 minutes a day? I'm glad you brought that up. To be completely honest, you will not lose weight based on these recommendations. I counsel a lot of my patients in weight management, and I've seen the most successful patients be slow and steady. They don't try to change everything at once. They try to make changes that fit into their life, like the crock pot or these 10-minute workouts or something. And they do that well for a month and add something else, cutting out sodas and juice. And then they do that well for a month. And then they think about other changes. Does that make sense? Then their changes are just so much more sustainable. Okay, so these things that I'm choosing are just for now. Then I'll have to change more in the future. To bring down your weight? Yes, most likely. But the changes you are thinking about now could bring down your LDL enough in a couple of months. You might not need medication after that. Pearl 4, Menu of Options. In this part of the encounter, the provider brainstormed behavior modifications that fit into Miss Miller's lifestyle. The provider was more involved in this conversation because Miss Miller was pre-contemplative. Ideally, the patient should do more of the talking. Things they talked about included CSA boxes, frozen vegetables, crock pots, her kids' taste preference, and exercise apps. That's a lot. Let's briefly go over CSA boxes, frozen vegetables, and the crock pot. First, CSA boxes. CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, connecting local food producers and consumers. So a CSA box is a physical box, typically filled with seasonal produce that can be picked up from local farms or delivered to the patient's house through a delivery service on a weekly or monthly schedule. This is an attractive option for patients that work odd or long hours and cannot make it to the grocery store. CSA boxes also help the indecisive patient who has difficulty planning menus and deciding ingredients. Second, frozen vegetables. If you've heard the previous episodes, you know our spiel by now, but in case you haven't, here goes. When vegetables are frozen, the sugars, starches, and fibers, or macronutrients, in the food are preserved to close to the same levels as fresh vegetables. When vegetables are processed, water-soluble vitamins, such as vitamin B and C, do take a significant hit. Fat-soluble vitamins, such as vitamin A and E, don't take as big of a hit with food processing. There's much active debate about these topics, and it's fair to say that fresh organic local produce likely has many benefits that science has yet to discover. However, Ms. Miller is choosing between fewer fresh vegetables and more frozen vegetables due to the convenience of frozen vegetables. As the scientific jury is still out on many of these topics, the provider does have to make a judgment call when it comes to recommendations. Think about your recommendations in context of the patient's financial means and other health issues. Finally, the Crock-Pot. They have basic ones at Walmart for just $20. The reason Crock-Pots or slow cookers are recommended is because the patient can just put in ingredients or frozen vegetables, potatoes, broth, anything in the Crock-Pot in the morning, set it for a couple hours, and ta-da, food is ready by the time they get home. 
Slow cookers are great because they get around the time issue. The patient doesn't have to stand in front of the crockpot making sure it doesn't spill and burn all day. That was a lot of information. Just remember, you have a couple tools in your toolbox when talking about behavior modification with the busy patient. A couple options are CSA boxes, frozen vegetables, the crockpot, and exercise apps. Part 5. Closing. Okay, Doc, so I decided to make these changes. Is that it for today? When do we have to check in again? Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Is there anything you wanted to talk about? No, just the labs. Okay, I should be getting back to work now. Sure, but before you go, could we go over the changes you plan to make? I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I'm going to order pre-cut vegetables to be delivered home. I'm going to get a slow cooker, and I'm going to eat half portions of food from restaurants. I know we talked about the exercise apps too, so I'll look into those. Okay, great. And does that all sound doable? Things you think will fit into your life. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, Doc. When do I need to come in again? Sorry, and one more thing. We talked briefly about your kid's reaction to eating differently. What strategies do you think would work for that? Well, we talked about increased exposure and mixing in vegetables with their food. To be honest, I don't know how well that will work, but we'll see. Okay, think about it. Feel free to call about more strategies for your kids. You don't need to come back for that. Well, I know you're pretty busy, so how about we check in when you come back for your, your son's physical in six weeks? If things are going well, we'll redo blood work in three months from today to check the cholesterol. Sound good? Sure, thanks. Cholesterol was the LDL and HDL, right? Exactly. LDL is bad cholesterol. HDL is good cholesterol. We want LDL lower and HDL higher. Okay, thanks, Doc. Talk to you soon. Thanks for coming in, Ms. Miller. Pearl 5, Closing In this part of the encounter, the provider talks with Ms. Miller about implementing change talk. Change talk is comprised of three components. The first is commitment, or statements that say, I will make changes. The second component is activation, or statements that say, I am ready, prepared, and willing to change. Finally, the third step is feasibility, or statements that say, I'm taking specific actions to change. Well, that wraps up Pearl 5. Let's recap on the key points of this podcast. 1. Pre-trial motions. It's important to open the encounter with Ms. Miller carefully. Lay out expectations about what is reasonable and give examples of easy ways she can change. 2. Diet history. Remember to ask about low-hanging fruit, like snacks and drinks. Be sure to ask about additions such as coffee creamer and cream cheese, and ask about portion size during the diet history. 3. Motivational interviewing. Preparatory change talk includes identifying desires for change, ability to change, reasons to change, and need to change. Remember the ORS technique of open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summarizing to elicit preparatory change talk. 4. Menu of options. You have many tools in your toolbox when it comes to talking about behavior change with busy patients. Some of these tools include CSA boxes, frozen vegetables, the crock pot, and exercise apps. 5. Closing. Implement change talk with statements that show commitment, readiness, and feasibility to change. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
This podcast has been made possible by the support of the Area Health Education Centers of California, the California Public Health Training Center, the Western Region Public Health Training Center, and the Medical Scholars Fellowship by Stanford University School of Medicine. Thanks to Virginia Fox for feedback, support, and advice. Thanks to Daniel Staker and Victor D. Ragsdale for their superb acting. Sorry, I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs>